Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels, a Star Wars Legion podcast bringing you the latest news, general perspective, and competitive discussion. Hello and welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. I'm Kyle. I'm here with Mike and David and Zach. Did you guys have a good 4th of July? Yeah, it was a it was like a time to relax for once. Uh, it's been pretty busy. Uh, we took uh, an extra day off uh, actually at work on Friday, so that extra day was great. But then the next thing you know, it was Monday real fast. <laughs> and uh, even with that extra day, you're just like, it's Monday already. But uh, here we are recording, and uh, you know it was a good weekend. How about you guys? My fourth was <clears throat> what it kind of like an exaggerated. Uh, fourth for me. I live in downtown DC. It's normally like a war zone down here um, on the fourth with all the fireworks and people blowing stuff off in the streets. But this year we had like six billion flyovers, the hundred feet above the house. So that made it really feel like a war zone. So it was great. <laughs> we didn't get that a uh, little thirty minutes south of you, but uh, we did have a lot of people shooting off fireworks. Uh, the, I kid you not. Like they flew over the house at maybe three, four hundred feet off the deck, going like at least Mach one or two. Like it, you know, like the scene in Top Gun where he like buzzes the tower. Yeah, like that's what it sounded like. Was what time was this? Like six thirty, maybe mm, seven. Okay. Yeah. Um, like it was it, additionally, it was close enough. Like it was late enough in the day that like people could have started fireworks stuff and they were flying really close to the deck and like, uh, a lot of problems there, but let's just say whoever planned it out did not do it. It's the great job. Yeah. Like if I live downtown and I, I mean, I do have kids. So if I live downtown, that'd be like right in the middle of kid bedtime. <laughs> that would not have gone well. That sounds terrible. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, it was like after you could hear the after like I I got up and started swearing. It was so loud from what I was. <laughs> well, I had a nice quiet evening. We watched Hamilton and then uh, you know, put the put the kids to bed early, then watched Hamilton and then uh, went out on a porch and watched fireworks. So, nice. Yeah. How about you, David? Yeah. We had a lot of fireworks. Where I live now is a, uh, you know, it's a suburban development with a lot of big lawns, um, pretty spread out. And so uh, a thunderstorm soaked lawn is like the perfect venue to set fireworks off on. So, I mean, there's no way that thing's going to burn. So we were, uh, you know, we retreated to hours and hours of fireworks and sparklers, like literal feet from our door, which was nice and also annoying. But we still had a pretty good weekend, um, you know, just hot dogs, corn on the cob with the family and, um, you know, watching movies, spending some quality time with each other. So it was good. 75 hot dogs. Huh? Joey Chestnut, 75 hot dogs. Did you eat 75 hot dogs this weekend? No, we did not. Oh, thank God. You know, can we briefly talk about this? Because I, uh, so I listen to the radio every now and again, and I'm driving my roommate into the Pentagon every morning. So I have to listen to the radio because there's nothing else to do, really. And no. uh, they were talking about Joey Chestnut eating hot dogs, and the conversation was, is competitive eating a sport? Yes. Yes. Um, See, I come down on a firm no. Kyle, how are you? 
Uh, I'm also going to say no. Um, it's just so gross. Like, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what do you do with it? It wasn't the question. No one asked if it was gross or not gross. Of course it's gross. Who wants to eat 70? Hold on. It's one thing yeah. to eat 75 hot dogs. It's another to eat 75 buns on top of that. Like, yeah. Like, I... like it's the intake that makes me nauseous. But you're talking about, like, all right, if you go look at Joey Chestnut, like, 13 14 years ago he was a bigger dude he's gotten into shape and has his body like like in like this condition where like a week before he goes to these competitions like he like fasts himself and his body and is like set up for like this eating competition like he has like this regimented like training sket like schedule to make sure that on the 4th of July he can eat as many hot dogs as humanly possible now hold on that is not something i recommend a normal human being to do but this guy He's done it. He's got it down to his science, and he put down 75 dogs and buns. I mean, it's impressive. It's gross, but impressive. I guess the question is... Is it impressive? It is not a sport. Yeah, I I think think the the question, what makes something a sport, is relevant here. Um, But we are way afield. Um, (laughs) That was the point. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I'm I'm with Mike. I'm on a no. It is not a sport. Uh, I'm sorry if you're a competitive eating fan. Um, I yeah. would I would argue that Legion is more of a sport than competitive eating. <laughs> All right. <laughs> With that segue, let's talk about some Legion. Uh, so I guess we got a date for Arcs and BX droids. Oh, you oh. know what? Let's hang on. I'm sorry. You know what? I went. I blew right past the parentheses. You actually highlighted it. Great. Here we go. Welcome to In the News. All right. There we go. So. Uh, we got Arcs and BX droids August 28th. We got a real date. So do we think this is going to stand? It's still two months away, basically. I'd like to think so. Um, just to like put it as note, it was my it was my local store, and they've been pretty spot on. Um, they have the dates for Padme and CAD, and then they posted the dates for this. Um, now, I guess it's really not up to them. It really depends on if FFG can get them the product. But um, so far, so good with my store. I'll, I'll give them the credit there. So are these, do we know if these releases are using the new, like I know that something's going on with the distribution chain and like, I think I may be very wrong in what I'm about to say, but Alliance is moving out of the picture, I think. Yeah, that's the word on the street, I think. Okay. Um, so is it, do we know if this is like, pre-alliance or post-alliance or anywhere in the middle i'm gonna take us this is a speculation and this is based off of the dates that krabic gave for clan ren and isf sorry to take this out of you from uh kyle was gonna announce this next but krabic on his video today um said that september 11th is clan ren and isf and september 11th is earlier in the month um, now I don't know how accurate this is. Obviously, of course, this is all speculation. But since it's earlier in the month, I wonder if the arcs and BXs might be the last hurrah for the alliance, and then it shifts over in September. But that's just based off the you know the speculation dates here by Kravik. Hmm. Well, anyway, excited that we got real dates again. Um, I got a pre-shipping notice for Cad Bane, so uh, excited about that be the first actual plastic we've had in, in a while what is it two weeks uh after the pre-shipping is that how it usually works yeah i think the official date is july 17th so 
yeah, it'll be right around then. Um, uh, All right. That's all we got for in the news. We have a little, um, so we're coming up on our hundredth episode and a few episodes from now, we're going to do some kind of uh, with the four of us, some kind of either two V two or free for all like TTS game um, for fun. And uh, <laughs> we decided we were trying to spitball, like if each of us represented a unit on the table, what would that unit look like? <laughs> you know, like a, a character. Um, so we're going to, we're going to, uh, with your help, that would be you listeners, um, try and design units for each of us and then uh, put them on the table. So um, they're going to be f- faction specific. Uh, we're going to go with me, Kyle separatists uh mike empire david rebels and zach republic so um we had some fun brainstorming earlier uh you guys got any initial thoughts on this uh, i'm just glad that i'm republic or, or and there's no um there's no scum faction because then somebody would probably be a weisenheimer and say i'm a short guy and make me a jawa and you can't do that so you know what <laughs> you can't make me a jawa because there's no jawas in the republic okay i mean they're probably protected under some sort of republic law or something, right? Yeah, probably. Don't make me a Jawa, okay? Or an Ewok. <laughs> or an Ewok. <laughs> I shaved, so I don't know. I don't look like a furry animal anymore. So, <laughs> uh, you can make me an Ewok if you want. I prefer Wookie, though. But you know, go nuts, man! Like, I don't want to think... tell you what to do specifically, but I would prefer to be an Ewok or a Wookie. I think you'd be some kind of Wookiee. I'm hoping. I, yeah. I, you know me, man. I love, I love Wookies. I love Chewbacca. I play him, even though he's not good. So, you know, hey, hey, <laughs> he's not good. Yes, he is. No, he's not. He's got a place uh, in the meta. He's got a place. Liars, uh, filthy liars, yeah. all of you. Yeah, it's okay. David's Mike's- just prefacing what we're going to talk about later today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are going to do Rebels 101 today. Um, so stick around for that. Uh, yeah. So uh, real quick, before we get to that, we did have some Invader games happen recently. Mike and I both played our elimination games. Mike won. I lost. Uh, we didn't play against each other. <laughs> so it's not like a binary situation there. Um, I played against uh, Luke Cook, world champion Luke Cook. Um, and uh, yeah, it was um, basically he's running the uh, Rex Star, uh, you know, 11 activation Rex, a bunch of phase twos, uh, arcs and R2 list. And I was running Dooku, uh, B ones and some of the extroids. Um, yeah, I, uh, basically I screwed up my Dooku positioning. Um, and, uh, that's, was the primary mistake that I made. Um, there's like this tree in the middle of the, the Endor map is the one we were playing on TTS. And, um, like, it looks like it should be good for like a line of sight blocker. So I basically like double moved Dooku up to there and then I hit that silhouette button. <laughs> I looked from like the primary location of of Luke's army and like three of his phase twos and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> That's not gonna work. <laughs> um I'm like, wow, that, that tree is a lot skinnier than it looks. Um so I ended up having to like essentially backtrack him and I basically wasted two turns getting him into a good position. Um and by the time he got involved, it was just too late. When he got involved, he murdered stuff um, pretty good, but it was just it was just too late. Um, so yeah, um, he got his payload farther than mine. 
because um, for the first couple turns, it was essentially like my B1s uh, trying to solo his uh, his clones, which went about as well as you would expect. So, <laughs> oh. Would you say that your clankers took that? Yes, they did. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. I, I did avoid a turn a turn one take that clankers, but as it turns out, take that clankers um, still can just wipe two units on turn two just as easily. So, yeah, um, it's like it's like the turn one clankers generates a lot of aims, but then it turns out you actually don't need that many to make it really good. So, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I think the primary thing here is that like. If you play Take That Clankers on a turn that you don't get a bunch of free aim tokens, and then you, oftentimes you wait towards the end of the turn to actually use the effect. So you've like, you know, he's he had stockpiled a bunch of aim tokens at that point. And it it was basically like he did it on turn one. Yeah. Um, well, and essentially, so he, he, he did a really good job using it properly, which is like you, you essentially want to play it when you're roughly at range five, like a little bit under range five from your opponent. So that you can actually wait till the end of the turn, because if you wait until you're like within range four, you know, then your your opponent's units can kind of just step into range three and shoot you. Um, so you can't just like wait on it. But um, yeah, he played it essentially at the perfect time. Uh, all my B ones were at roughly like you know it was turn two on long march, so they were roughly at between range four and range five. So I wasn't able to step up and shoot him, um, and I wasn't able to back up far enough you know, that he would be able to do that move shoot with the, with the clankers. I think, I think he had, I think there were like five units threatened by clankers at the start of that turn, basically, um, by my count. So, um, it wasn't a situation where I could just run away with all of them either. Um, so yeah, it was, but the primary thing really is just that Dookie was, I, he wasted two turns, uh, screwing up a bad deployment or fixing a bad deployment. Basically. Um, there was like this super nice, like hill on the North end of that map. And I'd, I'd actually put my payload objective, um, you know, the destination near that hill with the intent of, like, getting Dooku behind there, and then I just didn't execute on it soon enough. So, um, yeah, he got in there on, like, turn four, murdered a thing, and then uh, on turn five did Fear, Surprise, Intimidation and, like, murdered three more things. Um, but it was just too late. I think it was... How could, I was... You, how could you do this to me, Kyle? I just wrote, I just wrote an article, like, talking about having... A plan for all six turns. <laughs> yeah, quoted me. And then you do this. <laughs> yeah, no, it was not my best. Uh, it just it was it was a weirdly foggy game for me. Let's put it that way. Um, We've so, all had those games, right? Like where yeah. you you have you have some notion of what you need to do, and then it just like something something gets you know you know everybody bobbles the ball once or twice. You know, no one is perfect. Yep. Yeah, so maybe so, Luke Cook, but you know. On the plus side, I think I'm going to win the bracket challenge because I picked Luke Cook <laughs> um, <laughs> to win that game. <laughs> and uh, but but more importantly, um, I picked Mike to make it to the finals. Um, so and so I think I think at this point I I'm practically guaranteed to win the bracket challenge as a result I, I of that. I think you're locked because apparently no one else has faith in me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ew, I just didn't make one. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure you're a lock at, after my game. So, yeah. congratulations, you're going to win a fifth trooper, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to figure out what to do with that, Matt. 
Um, hey, man, I'm kind of tired of playing on your crate mat, so I'm all about it. Well, I bought a Naboo mat because that's what my... Uh, Excuse what... me, gentlemen. Salt Planet mat and... Uh, city what's Streets. The... City Streets? Yeah, City Streets. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Might be. Might be. <laughs> it's all right, David. Don't they don't... They don't... It's all right. We're on top of it. Don't worry about it. All right, uh, all right. I mean, our sale was awesome, so now we're out of stock of most of them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we really are. <laughs> um, yeah, so th- anyway, that's fun. Uh, all right. Uh, that was my game versus Luke. Um, good luck to Luke. Good luck to the remaining. Uh, we're in top eight now. Uh, a couple of top eight games have been played already, including yours, Mike. So you are you are officially now in top four, right? Yeah, mine is the only top eight game that's been played. So. Oh, okay. All right. So the I other... Believe, well, actually, if tonight is tuesday night when you hear this cast i believe uh jj and garn are playing monday night which at, probably right now at, oh, like as we're casting i had no oh, idea but, yeah i think it's uh, i think it's thursday that's thursday yeah and i'm yeah. covering oh, everything okay. sorry well then i lied um yeah, yeah i, I think that's my laptop game on like, i was about to close my laptop to like see you later guys i got a game to watch <laughs> yeah thursday the 9th at eight o'clock eastern Simulcast by Echondris, which, by the way, it's really cool that we have a, a Spanish language simulcast now. Yeah, Legion that's worldwide. Yeah, yeah, that's like a that's 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 big for Legion. Legion being cast in multiple languages. So yeah, that's that's awesome. All right, let's get to this Rebels one hundred and one segment. It's time for Legion one hundred and one. Class is in session. So we're going to talk uh, a little bit about just overall the rebel play style and tactics, and then we're going to dive into like specific units. Let's hit overall play style first. So, what would you guys say is like the overall play style of the rebel faction? Um, squirrely. Um, they have to pick and choose their battles wisely, and um they're fragile compared to other factions mainly because they're white dice units but they don't have the same amount of bodies that droids do we'll call it so like droids throw white dice as we know on defense but they have so many bodies to back them up that you can kind of expose a unit and not really care about it but for rebels if you expose a unit it could really be detrimental to your game plan i think you know i I agree with you um Rebels are, they have some of the best heroes in terms of value for points that are possible right now. Um, Their biggest drawbacks are that they are fragile and that they are a disorganized mess, meaning they have to pay more, (laughs) they have to pay more points for uplinks and such to maintain order control. They have no like inherent order bonuses. Like, so for example, CIS has coordinate, right? And then, I mean, like, the units that do have, like, coordinate and placement trooper, um, you know, this is maybe getting a little straight. It's less general. They aren't aren't played that commonly. So they really don't have a lot of orders to spare because usually you need your orders for your heroes, generally speaking. Yeah, I mean, I think um, maybe, to me, the best comparison for rebels is, is probably that they play like arc dodgers to some extent you know they they very much are looking to hit the enemy but not take any like 
like they don't want to get shot at all, right? Um, so they're kind of looking to put themselves in a position where they can go ahead and shoot, but they take very little receiving fire on the end. And whether that's last first in with, you know, just a core unit or a set of pathfinders or, you know, um, moving in, firing with tauntauns and then moving into melee with a unit that's already activated so you, you can't be seen or just kind of like move, shoot, moving with, with tauntauns or whatever. Like that's, that's kind of why tauntauns, I think, are a big deal uh, lately in Rebels is that they, they do the, the arc dodging thing pretty well. Um, but I also think that their heroes play very similarly to that, right? Like you, you want Sabine and you want Luke and you want to, to kind of be hidden you want them in places where they are threatening to do damage, but can't receive any back in at least until they, they kind of fire their opening barrage. Yeah. They award timing based attacks. Essentially. They also award reward threat saturation. And you I mean, there are cases where Sabine and or Luke hidden in a particular spot on the board can, you know, take on like two to three times their value because they are just so dang threatening when timed correctly. So the thing about threat saturation, right, is I feel like, and this is how the meta has been going, right? I think that we've been seeing a lot of high act rebel lists because of tauntauns and naked troopers, right? But Threat saturation is like where you're going to have multiple things attacking at once, right, David? And yes. I think that you kind of need heavy weapons to kind of come back into the rebel, um, like the rebel plans right now, because your threat saturation with tauntauns with token sharing is kind of hard to accomplish. Don't you agree? Yeah. Well, things really shifted because you know now we have a faction who's you know, one of their strongest features is punishing, you know, close in fighting with standby. And so it used to be that you would take, you know, a bunch of Tauntauns and like maybe a hero or two, you know, Sabine or maybe Luke, even Luke and Sabine together, and you would just attack everything, you know, going forth all at once. But now we have a different sort of threat saturation where, you know, you can still be rewarded for doing this with just attacking with everything at once, but it's a different kind of setup because, you know, these, these clones with standby sharing are very reactive and th that makes them especially good at reacting to what you are trying to do on the timing end of things. So you basically have a threat present in the form of Luke Skywalker, say, and then you have a bunch of, of units that are, you know, long range, medium range shooting that are not particularly sensitive or don't really need an order. Uh, like on the last episode, we talked about timing neutral. So for example, a unit with long range is generally timing neutral because they're able to influence the board heavily because um, chances are there will be something they can shoot because of their extensive range. Um, you still do the same thing now with your DLT troopers or with any any core unit, any heavy weapon core unit, because you're able to, to play this in this kind of standoff fashion now that Rebels have access to a, a range four gun with critical. Um, DLT-20A Rebel troopers are basically shore troopers light. They are weaker 
because they don't really benefit from, you know, red dice with aggressive tactics like Shores do. They also don't get free aims for getting orders like Shores do. But they're 66 points for six black and a white or three black and a white at range four with critical one. So those make for very threatening pieces. And I think you, you still you still do the threat saturation thing. You just have different types of threats. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think that, you know, it's tough, right? Because you're caught in between two worlds, right? You got the high act, you got high act rebel lists right now, which are using tauntauns and like ATRTs, we'll call it. And I think we're starting to see like a Cassian Luke gun line somewhat form in the competitive meta, we'll call it. And they both function very differently. Um, what do you what do you guys think about that? Like, what do you think about the two kind of archetypes that we're seeing come from the rebel you know, units? So I think the Luke Cassian quote unquote gun line thing is kind of just an extension of the historical any sort of Luke centered list that doesn't have Tom Toms in it. Um, I'm hesitant to use the term gun line because that kind of puts a lot of emphasis on the you know, the core units, the other things with guns in your list, and that's really not what they're there for in a rebel list. Um, but, you know, Luke lists have always been essentially about zoning with different range bands where you you want to keep, uh, you know, threatening targets away from your rebel troopers and your other squishy things. Um, and But you also want to sort of like force your opponent to come into the threat range of, of Luke or whatever other you know, close range hero you have. Um, Sabine works very similar to the lead to this also. Um, so I think it's, you know, that's why you run things like snipers and FD cannons and Cassian, um, because you have a lot of good long range pierce and poke. And if your opponent sits there at that range band and doesn't come in to come closer, then they're just going to keep getting chipped by snipers and pierce and high velocity. Um, but if they come into that closer range band, you know, ideally you have Luke or Sabine or whoever kind of deployed like roughly range two in front of your main line such that they can like intercept whoever's going after them, whoever's getting closer. So I think that list, um, you know, sort of operates uh, as like a multiple range band. You know, you want to you want to force your opponent to come to you with you know, into Luke and Sabine's threat range. And you do that by a, by being blue player, which we can get into a little bit. Um, but B, you know, by including long range weapons with Pierce in your list. And then Tauntauns, I think is kind of the second, like primary, not specifically Tauntauns, but more like a, you know, close range threat saturation list. is kind of, uh, the second primary rebel archetype, which plays very differently. Um, Right, we mentioned already that like that's kind of the, the stock of that is going down because of standby sharing, but it's still it's still viable um, against like CIS, right? Because that again, this like short range close short range um, threat saturation also can be done by ATRTs with flamers, which I think has been a, a very neglected unit lately, and I think they might be worth a look again with CIS and, and heck even a. Even against a, a high-saving faction like Empire or Clones, um, just forcing them to roll saves is how you kill stuff. So, you know, Flamers can still put the hurt on something if they can get in close. You, you know, 
thinking about tauntauns, and this is a, a bit of off tangent here. Think about tauntauns. Do you think that another part of the reason why Gar doesn't care about tauntauns, aside from standby sharing, is the fact that clones want to ball up in their deployment zone anyways? And one of the best thing for tauntauns was, let's say, Empire versus Empire or Rebels or CIS. They force you to deploy a certain way, but that actually doesn't have an effect on Gar. Because they do that anyway. They do it anyways. It, like I, I actually did not think about it until literally speaking about it right now. Is It doesn't change how you deploy as a Republic player. It just puts emphasis on how quickly you take standby tokens in a, sen- in a sense. Um, so I don't want to go super down this rabbit hole, but as somebody who has recently played a lot of Tauntauns um, as a Republic player, I actually think that if, if like... I think standby sharing is really the only thing that is preventing the taunts from getting in there. Like I'm deathly afraid of like multiple, like I can deal with one unit of taunts that hit my lines. I cannot deal with their three, you know um, it's like a pretty easy call me captain turn. If you've got, you know, one taunt on unit in your stuff, but if you've got multiple units to the point where like, if they're like, get to the phase where they get to run all over all your stuff. I think things get a lot more complicated. Yeah. I mean, you definitely don't want them getting in. <laughs> um, Cause they are still very effective tauntauns. Once they get in, obviously the standbys are like the stop gag from them getting in. Um, so I guess let's start swinging into the, you know, the units that we're seeing, um, outside of you know the list archetypes you know we're seeing a lot of cassian which i think is you know normal uh for a newer unit but again that's an emphasis on the long range pierce uh something we haven't seen lately and i wanted to discuss this personally is is leia um we've seen a lack of leia is is cassian just kind of hard swapping leia right now yeah i think so um, yes and no. I think Leia's probably still better if you're running a Tauntaun list. Yeah, because you need... I, okay, you can get away without Strict Orders, but I have. I, I really do believe that Strict Order Tauntauns are just superior to non-Strict Order Tauntauns. Because Strict like enables you not to need like Endurance. And even then, the timing of Strict is what matters, because it's, it's affecting the rally step. So yeah. even if they put that suppression on, that second suppression on during your turn, it won't matter. Yeah, I, I agree with David. I, I also think that, like, I don't, if you're playing Tauntauns, I'm not sure you can leave home without No Time for Sorrows. Like, it's, it's, I, it does a couple things that are really important. The first is clearly you get a speed one move out of it. And sometimes that's important, sometimes not. But I think the dodge token that you, that you get out of it is huge. Um, because if there's only like one standby, you can maybe eat a standby with a dodge token up. Yeah, that when that extra health could be the difference between losing the second model and not, that's really important. Yeah, essentially it's my ally plus a free move on a Tauntaun. Yeah, it's it's really good. Um, just to sort of before we like jump into specific units to kind of close out the playstyle slash general tactics. Um, discussion um wow i totally just 
I totally just blanked. I had an actual thought here. Help me out. Leia. Margin Cassian. of error without Guardian? Margin of error. We're cutting this, but... Um... Uh, no, we're not. See, this is what my brain felt like when I was playing Luke the other day. This episode like, a mess. Yeah. Um, Playstyle. Man. All right. Never mind. Oh, okay. I got it. Objective focused. I hear so I hear that um that phrase about like quote unquote like just play objectives a lot. I think I think that often gets sort of oversimplified to imply that rebels are bad at killing things and thus shouldn't try. Um I I really take issue with that viewpoint because most objectives are about counting unit leaders or about unit leaders having access to certain parts of the table and unit leaders need to be alive for that to happen. Um so ultimately, like I think there's there's two sort of uh, problems with with that view, and the first is that rebels are actually very good at killing things, um, and you should try to do that. And the second is like you're not going to win <laughs> win again, win on objectives um, as a rebel player by just like trying to swamp them. Uh, so I want I want to piggyback on this because okay. this is something that bothers me a ton. I hear people say it a lot. They're like, "Man, just play the objectives. You'll, you know, it doesn't matter what list you take." Blah 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 blah. You, the thing about Legion, and is that um, it turns out that the easiest way to play the objectives is to take a bunch of actions your opponent can't respond to, um, and in order to do that, you need to kill things <laughs> like. Uh, you know, like if you want to get in and like pick up a box that's maybe under threat, the easiest way to do that is to remove activations from your opponent's army so that you can go ahead and and do it without, you know, being threatened. You can get in there and do it last and your opponent can't do much about it. Um, and, and I think that like the best way, I mean, clearly you have to take the claim action or the sabotage action or whatever. Like you have to physically make your units do those things. But a lot of the time in order for them to do them effectively, you also have to kill your opponent in order to be, to do them safely. Right. And, you know, just talking about eliminating activations, like using an anecdote from my game against Luke last week, um, I was actually doing the math. I was actually up at, up on points when that game ended because B1s are super cheap. Like Luke had killed five of my B1 units, but that's only like 260 points. Um, whereas I had killed, I think two phase twos and two arcs, and that's actually more points. But the five B1s is more activations. Andy had an activation, you know, up on me at the beginning of the game. So like in terms of vicinity of the payload, I think at the end of the game, he had like six units, six unit leaders near the payloads. And I had maybe four, um, so it was still like, you know, I was unable to move my payload essentially because he did exactly that. He focused on eliminating activations. Um, and like, it doesn't matter what the objective is. You need to do that. So the whole like, just focus on objectives things. Well, while it's very important to make sure you need to know what to do to score the objectives and you need to be in the right position to do that. You do need to like eliminate activations to facilitate that. Still important. A player who went 4-0 at Adepticon once told me that uh, once you take the lead on attrition, you control the flow of the game. 
And I think that is a very, a very wise thing to remember. Yep. For sure. Attrition is very important. It doesn't matter what objective you're playing. Yeah. You and rebels like, are good at it. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Yeah. Like you kind of put your, if when you start winning the attrition where you basically put your opponent in like a mental capacity to think that they're behind and they got to try and get their way back in and you control that game from that, from there on out kind of. Right. Well, I mean, if, if you're winning the attrition where they kind of are behind, it's, it's not even, it's, you know, I mean, it's not even a mental thing. It's like, if, if you're down an activation on your opponent, like to some degree you are behind in the game that you are presently playing. Um, sometimes you start behind. That's, that's somehow like, sometimes that that's just how the game operates. If you are playing against a 12 act ton list with a 10 or 11 activation list, you are starting to some degree behind. It may be a sliver because it's really only a rebel trooper unit that like is the difference, like a naked one. But like to some degree, uh, that's just you are actually behind until you start deleting. And this this is sort of a general like competitive play style note, but um, you'll see why the part of why competitive players are so cagey is because losing even one activation is like devastating. If that happens in the first couple turns, like if you can kill an activation, a single activation on the first two turns in a in a high level competitive game, that's like a coup. That's a huge deal. Um, and um, you know because it tends to snowball from there. You know you you build your advantage and you you don't don't give ground, and that's that's what scoring objectives is all about. So, um, anyway, should we move on to specific units? I just want to caveat one more thing about this activation war stuff. Um, so if you're playing like a, a list that has generally like higher quality activations versus your opponent's high activation list, look at where they sacrificed because that'll help you know which ones to kill. Because a lot of times these high activation lists that you go up against, they're focused around a few things. And once you find those few important things that need to die, you focus your efforts on those things and actually you can end the game early because you know let, let's say let's say you have 10 and every all 10 of these units can function you know reasonably well let's say your opponent has 12 six strong ones and six weak ones well just kill the six strong ones and then they can't complete the game with their six weak ones totally um yeah it's like it again. It it really all depends on that attrition war in a lot of ways. Um, so I guess while we shift over to commanders, we've talked about Leia's shift in the meta, and we talked about Cassian. But I, I think one thing about Cassian to discuss is maybe how to play him real briefly. Um, I've seen a lot of discussions about like how to configure him with uh, his loadout. Um, I've come to find that his sniper is you know, something you start out with, but typically you, I think the best kind of Cassian is to play in, him in close with his pistol. I think we've brushed up a, like on this enough times on, you know, past cast, but do you guys tend to agree? Yes. Cassian pistol is like actually really important. He can still do a ton of work as a sniper, but I definitely want him in there, especially on the crack shot turn as a pistolier because you can kill a lot of things with pistol crack shot. If you have enough aim tokens, you can you can really just slaughter something close to you. Yeah, I, 
I think that the bit like if I were to give any new player advice on how to play Cassian is that don't use infiltrate to put yourself in a dangerous position, but also don't use infiltrate to put yourself in a position that's like cool and really hard to get out of. Um, like you need to be, you, you want to use infiltrate to put Cassian in a position where you can, you can like play volunteer mission, which gives him a recover and like just, you know, swap into pistol mode at a moment's notice and kind of go to town. Um, and I think putting him in like the range, like four to five band with the sniper is like a lot better than putting him like, don't put him like range 10 basically down the table where he, you're never even going to have the option to make the choice to put him into pistol config. Um, because he's, he's very good at both. And it really, depending on the ebb and flow of the game, you're going to want to have the option to kind of switch between the two. This is going to be sacrilegious. Here's a hot take, okay? Sacrilege. Don't take Recon Intel on Cassian. Take Ascension Cables. Mm. Because then if you deploy him up a cliff, you can then Ascension Cable and go down and still get two moves off your Clamor and have Unhindered, at least for that turn. I mean, you can... There's ways, there's ways to work with... There's ways to work with infiltrating him on height, is what I'm trying to say. I mean, you could do both. He has loadout. Right. Right. You could do both. Um, and we also just found out about Ascension Cables. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I do think like deploying him in a tower or something is super tempting, but also kind of a trap. Yeah. You have to be able to have a plan to get out of it. Like, like Mike is saying, you need to plan to, whenever you play VM, Cassian's got to be ready to get in there and start shooting with that pistol because he cannot stay in sniper mode forever. And, and if you're, if you're running K2, um, and we, I guess we should probably just talk about K2 now, even though he's an operative. Um, you know, K2's, if you give him that pistol, and the pistol's great, so you should give him the pistol. Um, he's only range two, right? But he's got teamwork with Cassian. And, uh, you know, he's essentially like got Bosk's dice pool with that pistol because he surges crit and it's five dice. Um, and it's pierce and suppress it. So, like, he loves aim tokens. And luckily, Cassian can give him lots of aim tokens, but they need to be close to each other. Uh, so, you know, the pistol version of Cassian is much better at facilitating K2 actually getting in on the action than the sniper version. And they facilitate each other as well, because on the on the other way, the pistol has long shot. So you like having long shot because you can spend two aims for range three to gunsling. Not you can you, know, you don't have to limit yourself to range two. You can spend the aim to slinger at three. And you have to do a free, you have to do it for each attack, but it's still really good, especially if you can find a spot where your opponents are out of cover. Then you don't even have to worry about spending aims to convert crits with marksmen. You just have to convert misses. So it's they feed each other, certainly. Yeah, I think what I've noticed with K2 is that incognito obviously is a very good keyword. Um, but I think you need to pick and choose like what you do with him. I think there's games where you're going to be like objective running and passing tokens to Cassian. And then there's going to be games where you're also going to try and get him into the fray and just shoot that boss gun. You know, I think he's got a couple different ways you can play him. It's kind of like Cassian. Like they, they both are, do we want to call them Swiss army knives in a sense? Because they have so many different things that they can do. That was the statement that I was going to spit out, frankly. Um, I think it, 
they're not Swiss Army Knives once they're in the game. Like you have to kind of decide what they're gonna do on any given turn, and and you have to decide, frankly, fairly early on. Yeah, I do think that there are two units that take a lot of forward thinking. Um, you know, you know, back to like infiltrating units. Like I think Jin has been seeing some more play lately, but um, you know, infiltrating units, you just gotta make sure you infiltrate and get in the right spots. Um, but you know, since we're on operatives, uh, which I think the rebel operative slot is like the most competitive army slot in the entire game. If you would agree with me here, um, you got K two, and then there's another droid um, called R two D two, which I think if you're playing rebels, you want to be playing R two. Yeah, yeah, you, you take secret mission in armies that can take secret mission. I think, especially you know, an R two D two without three PO is thirty five points. I think that's kind of a known quantity nowadays. Um, sorry, I was going to say about operatives real quick. Um, operative Luke, he's maybe the one instance you want to, you, you want to not put Cassian in pistol config. That's like the one caveat because operative Luke has so many good cards. It's just really unfortunate that you can't serve your master well on another operative. That'd be kind of busted. But, um, uh, in that case, operative Luke has enough command card substitutes where it could be, you know, valid to just leave Cassian in sniper config because, Operative Luke needs a commander and Cassian is like, you know, your fourth sniper or whatever. So I don't know how effective it is. I know I like him in that role. I mean, it's better than a, than a generic rebel officer, right? Like you pay 40 points. You get, you're still going to sprinkle in some of Cassian's command cards because they're just as amazing on operative Luke as they are on commander Luke. Last Um, stand. Yeah. Here you go, Luke. Have three dodges. There you go. Deflect like a, forever. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, clear suppression on him too between Indomitable and Volunteer Mission does the same thing. Like Luke with Danger Sense? Yes, please. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think it's fine if you're using him like that. I, I have seen the, um, you know, if you're running Cassian Operative Luke, do you take K2 or R2 debate? I, I think you could go either way, personally. Uh, you know, K2 is so good with Cassian. It's hard to pass that up, but R2 is R2. Um, I think if you go the R2 route, you're probably going to be using Cassian in sniper mode, mode more often because of how reliant he is on K2 for that close range synergy. But I think that's fine. You know, um, Cassian is one of only two snipers in the game that has unlimited range, the other one being Iden. So, um, you know, that's a real threat. Even if he's just picking stuff up, you know, a model or two a turn with that sniper rifle, he's still getting a lot more value than you can get out of that generic officer that you'd bring with operative Luke otherwise so yeah and if you put Hunter on Cassian and you targeted an aimed hero or aimed you know or sorry a wounded unit and you just take an aim action there's your double hit and a double crit with Marksman so you know it's actually K2 is not required by any means to run Cassian it's still really good for 70 additional points or however expensive K2 is OD with the gym pistol I mean right yep right yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, you know, I keep on saying I'm just going to play Republic only. And then today, all I did was like build like Luke Cassian lists. <laughs> um, I found myself building lists with R2 just because I could get the DLT in there. Um, that's part of why I was picking R2, just because of points. But yeah, I mean, Cassian, Luke, K2 is obviously another another thing I'd like to tinker with. Um, you know, 
Of course, then the other options are operatives are Sabine and Chewbacca. I mean, obviously, you got two different things that you can do with both of them. Chewie, you kind of use him for a guardian to keep like wounds off of Luke, probably, or, you know, something else in the list. And then Sabine's like your mobile objective runner. Um, I think both have a place, you know, in the current meta. Uh, you know, we talked about Chewie. Uh, earlier david and you know kyle and i disagree we think that chewy might have a place you know guardian is like a really good keyword um but i understand where you're coming from you've played chewbacca enough to to feel the pain i mean i love playing him but i just don't think he has a place competitively right now i think the only place he is competitive is skirmish because that's a, a, a land where there's just less dice flying around and Guardian 3 is just really potent in that land. So, I'm going to give you a hot take here. I know uh, we've talked a lot about Republic lately, but one of the things that scares me the most as a Republic player is a Tauntaun unit that's being Guardianed. They're like, I can't... Like, I, like you just shave three hits off the top of every one of my shots. Okay. He also has a great range three pierce weapon. That's also, also good in that matchup. Right. For sure. Um, I mean, it's cool, right? Like, I get to put three wounds on one of my better heroes in exchange for, you know, maybe only losing one miniature in my Tauntaun unit. <laughs> That's I getting shot without its dodges because standby beats that timing. Anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, I get it. I get it. Um <laughs> Get the salt shake. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite things to do to do with Chewbacca was when when Empire was running Flamer Snows, right? They would run up with their Flamer Snows, and you know, here I go with impact grenades. Whoosh! Oh, um, I'm gonna take three of these wounds, and you're gonna I'm gonna save one out of the two that are left, and I'm gonna take like no damage basically, and none of my stuff's gonna degrade, and then I'll shoot you back. So, I mean, your point is well taken. I just don't think that. I just don't think it works as well anymore uh, with some of the stuff that's come out recently, and especially with the prevalence of critical hits coming now with a lot of crit weapons. Guardian is less and less valuable, I feel. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I do think that it is specifically very good against BX snipers. Um, I mean, dodge tokens are already very good there, but, you know, like being able to just... You pretty much make BX snipers go away. Uh, well, speaking of dodge tokens, you know when Guardian's really good? When you can automatically cancel a hit with it. Uh, sorry, are you talking about situational awareness? No, I'm no, talking about Obi-Wan. I'm talking about Yeah, I was like, wow, that's way far afield there. No, um, no it's Sorosu. Yeah. The only character in the entire game that can do it, but hey, it's, auto- it's virtually automatic. Yeah, Obi-Wan's good. Um, Let's circle back real quick before we dive into the rest of these operatives um, to the remaining commanders that we didn't talk about. Uh, should we do... Let's 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 hit Commander Luke real quick. I know we already sort of talked about Luke and we've done like episodes on Luke before, but let's, let's real quick talk about Luke. Can we stress why we're talking about Luke first? Like, sure, I, go ahead. I, I think that it's important that people recognize that Luke and the rebel faction are hand in hand. Like it's uh, most rebel lists should have Luke in them in some form. He's very good. At least in a comparison. Now. What's up? Now. 
They didn't need him, they didn't need him uh, when you could buy two Tauntauns at the same price. Okay. Um, but point being that it, from a competitive standpoint right now, Luke is the backbone of any Rebel army. He's, he's really good. Yeah. No lie there. I mean, I was actually, you know, Kyle, go back, go back to your point about, you know, killing P2s. Um, I actually lost my Luke in the game of the day and I was like, well, I killed two P2s. So I guess at least I got my points back, <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause two P2s in Overwatch is 180 plus. Yeah, and Luke, with, uh, Luke with Commander Luke with Force Push Trick is only 175. Yeah, he's um, I mean he's just so toolsy. He like he can do everything. He's I mean obviously he's expensive, but he's got probably the with six command cards the best command hand in the game. It's extremely flexible. You know he's got three cards that give him free dodge tokens. He's got a card that like literally shuts off your ability to attack with so good. No way out of it. Um, and he's got. A double attack, one pip, uh, which you know any unit with a lightsaber making two attacks is going to be pretty good. And then he's got serve, which is also an extremely unique effect. Um, you know, you can you can do almost just about anything with it. You can have one of your own units do something extra. You can, you know, and then it's like a free action pull the strings. You can have an enemy unit shoot at another enemy unit. Um, like there's nothing else in the game that does that. So yeah, Luke is really good. Um, I have a really hard time making rubble lists that don't include him. I do think that, um, you know, particularly with Tauntauns, like you can run a very good Leia Tauntaun list that don't have Luke in them. Um, I've actually seen uh, Jin uh, in some pretty good lists along with Cassian. You know, a lot of people in, in Invader this season were running like the quote unquote thematic uh, Rogue One style list with Cassian, K2 and Jin um, pretty capably. So, um, you know, we've, we've talked a lot on this cast in the past about Luke. Um, there's two articles up there about him on our on our website, also on the blog, if you want to go check those out. Those are each very lengthy and informative. Um, why don't we talk about Jin real quick? Because we don't talk about Jin very much. Complete the mission is so good. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Complete the mission is like, it, it's it's got that same wording that makes my ally, is the force really good? Because the wording doesn't limit it to things that get orders from Jin. It's anything that gets an order. So you can play like uplink veterans or your uplink tauntauns. And hey, guess what? We're immune to suppression for the turn. And it's in addition to the three troopers that get this order. So there's a lot of really good play there. A lot of turn six, like home run potential. And I was going to say, how did we, how did we miss talking about the fact that all the heroes and rebels have extreme home run potential? That's like part of their playstyle, right? Like Luke, yep. Jin, Cassin, they all have this home run hitting potential. And I think that's part of the rebel thing is it's like the hero, you know, the the one one person in the right place at the right time makes all the difference. And that really goes, you know, hand in hand with their theme. Um, but yeah, speaking of Jin, right, you know, her her three pip is excellent. The two pip is, is interesting. It's got inspire and teamwork. And so I guess there's some you can chain that together with Cassie and K2 and just get a lot of token share bouncing around. And then the one pip, um, you know, it's interesting. I, I haven't really had you know a lot of good experiences with her one pip because it's easy to dodge. You just have to make sure you don't put anything close to her, and it doesn't really go off. Yeah, you can zone it out really well if in the right setting. Um, 
I th- I think the good thing about Jin is that you're you're typically taking her with like another character or two that have one pips, so you don't have to rely on bringing it anyways, um, which is a good thing. I mean, I think honestly, I think Jin's best trait is her courage three. I think that actually gets underlooked quite a bit um, because she can get into an area that can support your your army for a lot of the game and keep you at courage three, which is very, very important. Oh, hugely. And I mean, again, like having, having that courage three bubble has been a lifesaver in some instances, especially like if you're running a pistol Cassian, because if you're running pistol Cassian and he's only at courage two, you know, he's really easy to panic. It's much easier to panic courage two than courage three, like substantially. How, so how do you like when Jin is on the table, what do you do with her and how do you use her? Um, couple of ways to use her. One is to infiltrate a flank and get her in there with a accompanying unit. Uh, when she originally came out, I figure that Pow was actually meant to go next to her because Pow has Inspire and Jen doesn't have that natively. And so they would piggyback off each other. You know, she would teamwork the Pathfinders, give them her tokens, the Paths would use her tokens, etc. Um, she really does like to be paired up with a Pathfinder unit nearby. Um, it's a lot, Pathfinder's got a lot better though with Cassian because of the free recover. And it also happened to coincide with the release of this exhaustible, uh, training upgrade called offensive push, which we're all, you know, kind of familiar with. So Jin loves this card because it lets her aim while she, when she moves, right? So if she moves and shoots, it makes her, her piercing gun a lot better. Um, and the recover is, of course, great for Bistan. Bistan had this problem where he's a Courage 2 unit that has Danger Sense 3, but needs two actions to recover and shoot. So there was a little bit of a problem with him mechanically. Uh, VM solved that. Volunteer Mission solved that. So now you have a lot of room to use Bistan as well. Um, so basically, just try to use her Infiltrate on a flank. Um Jin loves Disarray, like all the Infiltrate units love Disarray. Uh, of course, you do need to, you can, you have to make the choice, right? Do I use her on the flank to sustain this, like, push on one side, or do I keep her with the rest of my army to flex the courage through bubble on, on the main body of the army? So you have to kind of make a choice there. But um, she's usually not alone in terms of commanding. Like, the old, you can still run Cassian as your commander, and you can still be fine there. Um... There's just a lot of ways you can run her. You can infiltrate her on a box. You can infiltrate her on evaporator. There's all kinds of, of really cool plays you can do using her infiltrate and her rebellious. Yeah, and we've talked about infiltrate like, pretty extensively way back uh, last year when Jin and Pathfinders came out. Um, but I think the biggest thing with both of those units, or really any unit that infiltrates, is like don't get too aggressive. You know, it's easy to try and want to do some kind of like big alpha strike with your infiltrate, um, but you get you, you just got to be careful. Like, don't think that you can just drop them in the middle of your opponent's deployment zone, you know, and go nuts. Like, you don't want to do that. Um, you oh, yeah, I would never advocate for that. <laughs> never. Yeah, no, I know, but um, I mean, like, I you know, when I first started playing infiltrate, I, I I don't think I ever literally dropped them in a deployment zone, but I did similar things. Um, you know, for the first several games that I played Infiltrate. And I'm like, man, this keyword is awful. Um, and, then, 
and then I got the hang of it. And you know, you just you just got to be a little bit cautious with it. Um, sometimes if it's just like Scout Three, that's fine. You know, if it just gets you a little bit of a head start on even some of your home objectives, like that's fine. Um, if it makes it a little bit more difficult for your opponent to, you know, like if you're on evaporators, it's not uncommon for an opponent to like send a strike team right after one of their own evaporators. If you drop Jin, you know, and it's like in a quote unquote safe, safe ish spot behind a light line of sight blocker near one of those evaporators. If all you do is force them to commit like an additional unit to, um, to work that that's still useful. Um, you know, you don't have to hit a home run with infiltrate. So yeah, it's a distracting influence. Right. Um, I'll just briefly talk about one of the best ways I think to use infiltrate is to look for, um, the angle of a, of a unit's cohesion relative to their unit leader and try to see if you have an infiltrate angle that allows you to put your range three band on one of the miniatures in that unit without allowing the unit leader to be in range three. That's one of the best ways to do that because then once you shoot, they can't shoot you back because that unit leader is too far away. You're basically using infiltrate to uh, punish your opponent for not knowing where you're going, which is what Cassian like excels at with his, with his infinite range sniper rifle really easy for him, but you can still do it with the range three units that have infiltrate by really just seeing if your opponent leaves an angle for you um, to, you know, sort of to do this infiltration where you have the non one non leader mini inside range three but you leave the leader out of range three. Yeah. And I, I personally like holding my infiltrate units until the very last or near last deployments for that reason, but also because you you force your opponent, your opponent with every drop, every time they put a unit down to consider where you might possibly put your infiltrating unit. Um, and infiltrating is a lot about just kind of forcing your opponent to have like an inefficient allocation of their resources. And even just doing something as simple as holding them until late in deployment can do something like that because you're forcing them to put units in positions that might be suboptimal from a, um, you know, scoring objectives or moving into the main part of the battlefield perspective, but they're a little bit safer from that infiltrating unit. Um, so just the threat of infiltrate even there can be useful. Yeah. And then you can just play normal. Right, like they, they'll they'll adjust their deployment to respond to infiltrate, then you just won't do it, and then yeah, they're out of position on the other the other end of it. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, so I think something important for infiltrate is that danger close and hemmed in are both good for infiltrate. Um, they give you better options than some of the other deployments. I, at least on paper, I don't really play infiltrate enough to I guess fully know. But looking at those deployments, I feel like you can put yourself in a good position close to your army and also be threatening your opponent in a safe space in a, in a quote unquote safe spot. Yep. Yeah. Infiltrates as much about the potential threat as the actual threat. Um, let's round out the commanders here. Where's my boy Han at? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I wrote that on the sheet because yeah. somebody forgot that Han was a commander. Corpse is underneath a tauntaun. Okay. So got tauntaun footprints in his stomach. <laughs> to uh, to clarify this, uh, I've been writing some outlines for the episode so we don't lose track of where we are. And on commanders, I did not put Han Solo, and that was not me forgetting about Han Solo because I love Han Solo. I just don't think that Han fits in the meta. 
or uh, he's tough to play right now in Legion. He need he needs a little help. Um, so I left him off the sheet. <laughs> so why is why is he tough to play? Let's let's ever so briefly talk about this because Han is like one of my favorite Star Wars characters. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm 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 ready for this tangent here. Um, change of plans is still very good. Sorry about the mess is also very good. Um, Reckless Diversion was one of Han's better cards. All three cards are great. Let's put it that way. Okay, it's very difficult to kind of say what card is a better card. Reckless Diversion in when in the early meta for Han was so important because you could basically force your opponent, and this is especially for like a Flyboys list, which is what I was playing. You could force your opponent to shoot Han or a Corp unit, right? And you can leave like Luke in a position that wasn't ideal. But it's okay because your opponent's basically forced to shoot that corp unit or Han. And you were kind of like, okay, if Han eats a couple shots from this DLT Stormtrooper, it's fine. Um, he can't eat multiple sure shots. He can't eat phase two shots. He can't take, you know, standby shots that, you know, were triggered by something else. So reckless diversion just kind of goes, in, you know, away. Um, sorry about the mess is still a great card, especially because it, you know, it undermines cunning, which is very good on Krennic and Dooku. Don't get me wrong. But you know what the issue is? Is you want to last first with Han on Sorry About the Mess. You basically want to take him, go last, gunsling, and then go first. The The approach vector that you need to pull that off in this game right now is very, very difficult. Um, I think Change of Plans goes unspoken for. I think it's still a very viable card. And I actually think that it's probably one of the better cards in the game just attached to a unit that is hard to play right now because range two is so dangerous for him. Um, you know, he's basically, basically you can play Cassian and get the same value as Han minus the commit. Like if you take command cards out of it, right. You can play Cassian. He's what? 30 points cheaper. Uh, not counting upgrades and stuff like that, but he's 30 points cheaper on the face of it. And you're still going to get the same value and he can shoot at range three, which is super important right now. I think. Yeah, the range is the biggest difference between those two. Um, and I actually would argue that Cassian's command hand is better than Han's. I tend to agree um, just because of what it's attached to and what it can do for the rest of your army. Like Han's cards, Reckless Diversion, again, taken out of the equation, primarily focus on like what Han wants to do. And Cassian kind of focuses what the rest of your army wants to do. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, if you look at... Obviously, they both have teamwork, and they both have an operative that pairs with them. Um, it seems like this has become clear now that Cassian and K2 are out, but I feel like teamwork for teamwork to be good, you need your, the ability to actually generate your own tokens outside of like taking the aim action or taking the dodge action. Um, and what makes teamwork so good on Cassian and K2 is they have ways to do that between calculate odds and tactical and command cards that hand out green tokens. Like, Han and Chewie don't have any command cards that hand out green tokens. Well, sorry about the mess does. Um, but it, those are mostly useful on Chewie because Han has such a, you know, he's got two dice, but it's two red dice. So he doesn't really even need aim tokens. Um, you know, they're good on Chewie. But, like, what makes teamwork so good on Cassian and K2 is they can they generate gobs of green tokens, both of them. Um, and Han and Chewie don't really do that. What's even worse is that Cassian has Marksman, which is straight up better than Sharpshooter and two reds with hit. Or two reds with crit, even. It's yeah, I mean, better. you know, Han nat natively has Gunslinger, um, which is better than just only having it once. Sure. But, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I feel like Han is just, um, he's just been kind of power crept. I think the Reckless Diversion point is, is a huge one. That was one of his best cards when you could just eat DLTs all day. But, um, you know, now you play it and with their first activation, your opponent just wipes Han off the table. and <laughs> You don't have Reckless Diversion anymore. Um, so Yeah, the worst part is that you can't even divert onto like a vehicle that has armor or something. You know, yeah, it's got to be a punch, punch. But it has to be troopers, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe it'll see its heyday again. Who knows? Um, but yeah, right now it's it's still you know there are, there are times that it's useful, but it's not nearly as like ubiquitous, ubiquitously disruptive as it used to be. Um, all right, should we move on to? Um, we talked most about most of the operatives. Um, do we want to talk about Operative Luke at all? We kind of already talked about Luke. Yeah. I mean, he's just, he's just better Commander Luke. I think Reflexes is uniquely good on him just because he's pretty much always going to have it. Yeah, Master of Force is like addicting. Yeah. I, I, play, I played Commander Luke for the first time after playing Operative Luke kind of primarily when I was playing Rebelist. And I had to like actually think of when I wanted to use Force Powers, which was a little weird. Uh, cause <laughs> you're so used to, when you get so used to playing operative Luke, you're like, oh yeah, I'm just going to do this, take this back. Or I play a lot of Kenobi. So, you know, that's part of the equation too. So the other day I'm just like, oh man, I can't use force push here cause I need it next round or something like that. And you know, it's just, it's, it's just to have that option. I know he's expensive. Don't get me wrong. He's just, he's so good. Operative Luke. Oh yeah. I have disengage. <laughs> How many times have I said that to myself playing op Luke? <laughs> Um, I actually think like Jedi mind trick is just absolutely bonkers on him. That's the force power. I pretty much refresh every turn. It's Same. just like, here's suppress you panic, you suppress you, you know, I mean, basically you get to throw down like somewhere in the realm of like 10 to 12 suppression tokens for free, which like when you think about it is it's silly. That's, <laughs> That's like more than an entire rounds of sh- rounds worth of shooting that you like gain with that card over the course of the game with it on operative Luke. Um, it's also a great hard counter to standbys. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Like you just like the first action is I'm going to Jedi mind trick you. I mean, clearly that means you're already ranged two of them, but like they can't, once you're stuck in there, it's very hard to get Luke out even with standby sharing. Yep. Yeah, and Luke excels at particularly operative Luke because they're disengaged, but either version of Luke and essentially like hiding in units that have activated already. Um, you know, John Bushman is a really good operative Luke player, and if you watch him play, like you'll notice that he does a lot of basically waiting once Luke is stuck in, waiting until a unit within range two of Luke has activated already, and then he'll just like you know either jump to another nearby unit um, that hasn't activated yet, attack it disengage and then move into that unit that's activated already and he'll just essentially like bounce between activated units and give him a hug every turn and if you don't have force push yourself there's literally nothing you can do (laughs) um and that's you know you got to be careful not to dive luke in there too early um one thing with any force user but definitely with luke is that um like it's easy to kind of get that lightsaber bloodlust like i got a lightsaber you know i'm gonna get there and start chopping off stormtrooper heads as quickly as possible, but then, you know, the unit that you're in melee with, which draws, and then your opponent's entire army shoots Luke, and then he's dead. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, Doesn't feel good. <laughs> uh, you got to be really careful in KG um, about when and who you engage. Uh, there's a tried and true tactic with force push where you can basically like, um, you know, if you identify a line of sight blocker near your target, uh, you know, take a move action and then force push that unit, cohere them around the edge of that line of sight blocker away from your opponent's army, and then use your second move to engage one of those cohered minis uh, on like the quote unquote safe side of that line of sight blocker. Um, so even though, you know, in that instance, you could have just reached them with the double move without repositioning them first, it's still super useful to use that force push move and then the cohesion reposition um, to put them in a safer spot to engage so that if they withdraw from you or if you wipe them, you're not going to get shot. And that clearly goes for anybody with a lightsaber that can yeah. take force push. No, yeah. right? no question. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm never you're against going for the double charge. move. I was going to say, I'm never against going for like the double move force push to get myself in safely and set up for the next round too. Like, I think sometimes people might not see that. Like they see the threat range of like range two and think that you want to go in and charge. But if they get, if they get into like the position where I can double move force push them in and yeah, I know I lose an attack by doing that, but I'm setting myself up on an, on a unit that's activated. I mean, I'm setting myself up for like later attacks and Luke is in there, which is like super important. Yeah, I do think it's I do think you have to be careful when you do that um, in that like you, per, with operative Luke, it's a little less costly because he has Master of the Force. But you do have to be careful that you're not sort of unnecessarily using force push um, because then you won't have it uh, face up for the next turn. But yeah, the other rule of thumb is never go first into your opponent's force push if you can help it. Just don't do it. Yep. Yeah, don't do that. I mean, 90% of the time, there are times when you want to do it, but most of the time, if you do that, force users are kind of unlikely to kill each other in one shot, um, barring certain exceptions. And um, like, if you go in first, your opponent's just going to force push you into the open and then shoot you with everything that they have. <laughs> your force user's going to die. So uh, yeah, be extra careful if you're up against another force user. Be very cognizant of what that force push range is. Even if you're not like diving into the middle of their force, you know, force push range is essentially range three for most force users. Um, you know, the the standard like speed two jump type um, because it's a double move and then it's range one on top of that. So even if you just kind of move up early in the turn, like behind a line, what you think is safe behind a line of sight blocker, but you're at range three of your opponent's force user, they can just double move, you know, and then force push you out from behind that thing into the open. And then suddenly you're not safe. So. Um, you just got to be in like a force user versus force user situation. You just have to be super careful about where your opponent's force push unit is. Rebels 101, also known as force push 101. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, you know, Luke is so central to the identity of rebels. I think it's impossible to do rebels 101 without doing like force user engagement 101. Yeah, um, I agree. Should we, should we hit core units? Yeah, um, I think we talked about the DLT quite a bit. Um, well, not today. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is so good. Um, again, I, I built list today. It was all like DLTs. Um, it I just, I don't know, like Rebel Troopers, I understand like why they've been naked for the longest time, but I just feel like that might have to shift. Um, I, I think the best, I think the thing about Rebel Troopers when you're playing Rebels, you have to understand that they are, 
you're going to be your objective runners. Like, and yeah, they can kill things like Kyle mentioned earlier in the cast. Um, it's all about picking their engagements. Like they want to kill things, but they just don't, they don't want to die too. So like, it's just making sure you pick and choose your engagements correctly. I think, um, you know, Yeah, I mean, you, you want to, we talked earlier about threat saturation, but Rebel Troopers are great when they're shooting things. They're terrible when they're getting shot. Um, so you want to basically set up situations where you're not at that range three band until your opponent's already focused on some other elements of your army, whether that's Luke or Sabine or Tauntauns or whatever. Um, one thing, just making the case for the DLT, um, I know like a very popular archetype is just like three naked rebel troopers and then three rotaries, three rotary RTs. Um, the rotary RT costs almost 50 points more than a rebel DLT. And I say this, I know that a rebel DLT with the rebel trooper unit is 66 and the RT is 75. So you're like, wait a minute, that's only nine points. How's that 50 points? Well, you have to buy three rebel trooper units. Like you're required to buy three core units. So, you know, the cost to give those three core units DLTs is 26 points per core unit. If you want to buy a rotary on top of that core unit, you got to pay 75 points. So, you know, at least for your first three DLTs, the cost difference between those two things is 49 points, not nine points. Um, you know, rotaries are, are good and we'll talk about I think we'll probably save the ATRTs for 201 because we're starting to run out of time here. But um, but I do feel like I, I personally have never really like naked rebel troopers are fine and they're important for doing objectives and stuff. But you can do objectives with troopers that have heavy weapons and then also still contribute meaningfully to the actual attrition piece. Like you can do both things. That's that's that was the normal way to do things before really before the Tauntaun shorewave. Um, you know, it's not like a unit with a DLT is incapable of doing objectives and also contributing to the fight at the same time. Like, that's how most core units operate. So, um, I don't know. I'm personally on team DLT. I like DLTs a lot. Um, you know, they're one they're one white dice short of a short trooper T21B for 20-ish, less, less than 20 points. You know, they don't have target and they don't have red saves, obviously, but um, like that's an efficient dice pool. I think the the biggest thing about rebel rebel core units generally is that unlike the other three factions, they have a very different role in your army. in In a republic faction, in a droid faction, in the empire faction, all of your core units are very front and center. They are hey, this is this is the line of my army. You could even call them gun lines, um, and. And like those, those core units are on the front. They're actively not only taking, like doing damage, but they're actively like soaking damage for your army, whether that be in, you know, B1s can do it with a high amount of, of models or whatever. Um, you know, Empire and Republic clearly have saves to fall back on. Rebel troopers are more of like a follow-up unit in my mind in that they kind of, they follow your main element in, and they're not there to take the brunt of the damage. The core units in other armies are, are, are somewhat fundamentally there to be the thing that your opponent shoots at. Rebels don't want you to do that at all. And I think sometimes people kind of get 
caught up in the fact that they don't do that well and therefore their core units are bad um, and therefore think they shouldn't take them. Whereas I think the real issue at hand is the core units actually just do things differently than how they expect them to do. They need to play them differently in order for them to, to work that way. So that's just something to keep in mind. Um, I, I think that the rebel core units just work fundamentally different than other core units in this game. Right. This is the importance of threat saturation um, because you're giving your opponent something else to shoot at. That's not your core units. So like once you're, once you're like, you know, that's why you like, you engage all at once because your opponent has to make a choice. And let's just, let's just use Luke as the, as the example here. If they have to deal with Luke, chances are they're probably not going to spend their time shooting your vulnerable core. They're going to focus their efforts on removing Luke if they're able to shoot him at any point. So like you say, Mike, it's, this is not about trading fire and expecting to win. This is about timing and about rewarding position more to, and, and, and um, uh, more than just trying to like have a stand up fight. You'll, you'll never win that with courage one and a white surge defense dice. That's not going to happen. And luckily, Rebel Troopers, at least with the DLT, are very good at poking at that range four band, you know, because they have three dice with a critical. Um, so if you're in those turns, like before you're at that threat saturation piece, um, you know, sidle up. Obviously, you have to be careful of your own opponent, your opponent's own long range threats, but don't be afraid to sidle up to a unit at, at exactly range four. Don't do less than range four um, and just throw some dice at them with that with that dlt um the reason we say exactly range four is you know this is more of an overall 101 thing but uh the speed two move tool is plus a trooper size base is very slightly less than range one by like millimeters um so if you if you shoot at exactly a range band so for example at exactly range four and your opponent has range three weapons on that unit it will be impossible for them to move up and shoot you a range three and make sure you're communicating that, by the way, because things get bumped. And, you know, we've talked about intent and stuff on past episodes. But, um, yeah, if you're poking at, at like, a long range band, you want to do it at exactly that range band. Don't do it at less than that range band. Um, so that's Rebel Troopers. Are you taking fleets or veterans at the moment? And if so, how? Hard no. <laughs> uh, I just I, I don't like being cynical but yeah no I don't know uh, I mean the, I think I think there are, are people that can that have and one of them is Keegan Evans you know Matrik Michokin on the discord that plays veterans very very well um, and of course like there's like I don't want to call them gimmicky plays but gimmicky plays like a crack shot fire support with like an MK2 that you can compounce on your opponent and make them pay for it but I think those are and, you know, this is part of like the one-on-one, right? We're talking about things that are consistent in, you know, many, many games. I think the problem for veterans and fleets is that their consistency is just, it's too hard to account for. I mean, the fleets fall into the same problem as Han, right? They have to get the range two to be really effective. And they kind of melt before they get the range two. It's just tough, right? I mean, if, if you get fleets on target, they're devastating. Oh, they're so good. Yep. Um, but like the issue is getting them there. Right. And uh, clearly there are a lot of units in this game that kind of suffer from being range two and they're one of them. Um, 
you know, I think on the right board, they can work very well. Um, and, and I think that generally speaking, like if we're talking about fleet troopers, um, they're probably only a one of, even if you are taking them, like uh, rebel veterans and fleet troopers are not going to fill out your army. Like you're always going to have rebel troopers in your list right now. Um, yep. Which is, which is fine. You know, there, there was a time when, uh, fleets were, um, you know, I took fleets just to force push stuff into them. <laughs> you took it and took it out. Super satisfying. Say it. <laughs> yeah. Um, super satisfying. Uh, but yeah, I, it's just so hard to get to range two nowadays. I took fleets so I could put three wounds on Boba before losing them. <laughs> <laughs> Which is still like working worthwhile. Huh? Yeah, they still work really good. Like yeah. they're, they're, they actually have this dubious distinction of being the most offensively efficient core unit in the game with the scattered yep. yep they just can't get on target not only core unit any unit any besides, unit, yeah. any unit that doesn't have a flamethrower yep i think uh, i think the issue for fleets is that when people see them on the other side of the table they just focus them down i think that's part of their problem oh, is they, that and they should they're hugely threatening oh yeah i'm not saying that they shouldn't it's just like it's you put them on the table and your opponent just sees them and they're like that is where I that is that is where I'm going to shoot, and it's tough to kind of skirt around that. It, it, like you said, on certain tables, it, it probably will work, but you're relying on that element of the table to allow your fleets to get into the position you need them to. Yeah, it's not consistent. Yeah, I think the problem for the vets to kind of to circle back on the vets is. They want orders in a faction that doesn't want to give orders to their core units. Yep. Um, you want orders on your commanders and operatives, or sometimes even a sniper will say, maybe like, you know, like, but you're like not going to issue orders to your core units um, most of the time. And that they won't be able to get their defend keyword, which is a big part of their identity. Um, and that's not to knock the faction i think i love the rebel faction but the orders need to go on luke or cassian or k2 or sabine the list goes on and on and on before you get to those veterans and that's the hard part of it well we took relays off in placements so <laughs> rip that strategy well even even <laughs> that, um and i'm sure we discussed this at some point in the past but the mk2 is a much worse target for a relay simply because it like a big part of that the mk2's value is fire support Right. Whereas the mortar is just perfectly fine and arguably better without fire supporting. So, um, right. Yeah. The mark yeah. wants to support something with nice keywords like a sniper or yep. you know, Han or something. Yeah, it has good dice for what thirty-eight points. You know, four black dice with crit sur- with essentially crit surge for thirty-eight points is great. It's just made of peanut brittle and it's only range three. So yeah, <laughs> you just look in its direction and it melts. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm Rebel Troopers. Sorry, I'm curious about veterans now that situational awareness is out. I wonder if like you could play a triple veteran list with covering fire and you're in situational awareness on all three copies of the veterans. And I mean maybe maybe that's kind of neat. I don't know. Yeah, I mean situational awareness is a little unexplored territory, but I could see that. Um I don't know about three veterans. Um because then that's only two turns that they all have orders, but maybe like two. Yeah. Um, Rebel troopers in there for for uh for a little added spice. I could see it. 
All right. Should we? Um, so we we haven't talked about any support heavy or special forces units, but we're at ninety minutes here. So I think we should probably do a rebels two hundred one, just like we're going to do a CIS two hundred one. Um, you guys got any final thoughts? Rebels are still good. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Um, you know, you just have to play them a little bit differently than the other factions, and that's okay. That's what faction identity is about, right? Um, Rebels are the thinking players faction. <laughs> Whoa, now. Whoa. Uh, what, what, was it something I said? <laughs> they, they, uh, they have less margin for error than other factions. For sure. You, you uh, will get punished. You'll get punished for your mistakes more playing Rebels than you will other factions. I guess my final for thought would be is that the Rebel DLT is good which I've said many times today, but when you build a list, it doesn't necessarily have to play like a gun line. It can be a gun line, but it doesn't have to play like a gun line. Yeah, I think I, I sort of resent that term when referring to rebel lists because I don't think it really applies. It um, certainly doesn't apply anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it might have back in the day of, you know, six Z6s, three snipers, lay like Luke situation, but... Yeah, in, the, in those days, the game was quite, quite literally line up and shoot and see who comes out on top. But no, no more are those are those days. We have many more tools and many more exciting strategies to employ. Yep. I would like to make the argument briefly that that list is still good. Yeah, I, I mean, the other day, you can pretty much hard swap those all for DLTs for. And you'll you'll still be able to fit. You might have to cut like a medic or something. But there's the Luke Cassian R two five DLT three sniper list that exists. Yeah. Anyways, my point being that I don't think we've really left it that far behind. It does still exist. It just doesn't like. There are better gun lines in the game. You don't want to compete like that anymore. Clearly, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. You certainly have to play that list differently if you're doing it. Yeah. Right. Yep. All right. Well, um, you guys got any quick stream plugs? Uh, Thursday, July 9th, um, JJ's Juggernaut versus Garnanana, CIS versus Gar, uh, 8 o'clock Eastern, simulcast in Spanish by Econdris. And I hope to see you there. I'm rooting for, for Garn. Um, I would like to see top four not be all Gar. <laughs> And him and Ellis are the only two left that have a shot at changing that. So, um, yeah, rooting for my droid brethren since I'm out. There you go. Um, I probably will not be casting much moving forward just because I'm going to be in a hefty percentage of the games, hopefully. I will, I will at least be playing two more games because I will have to... Uh, in the what is it semis i guess there's a third and fourth player game too so yeah regardless you're playing two games regardless what happened so yeah um yeah and clearly if i'm playing i can't stream it so i mean i could stream it but i you know less fun that way yeah i'm so good at legion i can't stream because i'm playing (laughs) (laughs) i'm one of only four people left in this tournament (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no. congrats man on your top four it's uh uh i'm super excited for you you're Thanks. um 
Yeah. You got either Kingsley or Ellis. Yeah. (laughs) Hard road ahead. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we are the Notorious Scoundrels. Uh, I'm Kyle. I'm Mike. I'm David. I'm Ron Burgundy. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) See you next week.